as we continue along in our Advent series, we now move to the, the narratives where we, we learn about the birth of Jesus. Last week, in the, in the third week, as we talked about the silence being broken, we saw that Luke has set the stage for us with the dramatic telling of the birth announcement and the birth of John the Baptist. And this by not just telling us that it, that it happened, but by introducing us to this very devout, very, very elderly couple named Zechariah and Elizabeth. And in what tradition in Scripture, Zechariah and Elizabeth were unable to have children, going all the way back to those stories of the Old Testament as we read about those couples that, that struggled to have children for years and years and years. But finally, because of, uh, of God's grace, because of the plan that God had, He sent the angel Gabriel to appear and Elizabeth told them some incredible news, some news that they had all but given up on, and it was very simply, you're going to have a baby. You know, now, for most people, that's good news. Imagine being very, 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 well, let's just say well beyond childbearing years and hearing those words. You're going to have a baby. That's exactly what Zechariah and Elizabeth heard. Zechariah was, you know, he was overwhelmed by it as he was in there lighting the, the altar of the incense. And all of a sudden, Gabriel sort of just taps him on the shoulder and says, Hey, guess what? You're going to give birth to a child. And he's going to minister in the spirit and in the power of Elijah. He is going to be the one who's going to prepare the way for Christ Jesus. He is going to be forerunner he is going to set the tone and of course Zechariah was like great I'm all in no his you know his response was was doubt he said matter the angel you know how can I know this you know I'm 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 old I'm an old man how am I you, you realize what he's saying how is this physically going to take place okay just in case you haven't picked up on that that's what he's saying. How is this physically? They didn't have those pills back then. We'll just leave it at that. But they didn't have those kinds of things. Okay? But he said, how is this going to take place? And of course, he was struck with silence for the period of nine months. And finally, when John was born, when the baby was born, they proclaimed his name was John. It was at that moment that Zechariah's tongue was loosed and he began to burst forth with his praise. He began to prophesy over his son. And the first half of that prophecy was about Jesus and the second half was about, about John and the role that John was going to play as he was going to proclaim the coming of the Lord. God is bringing the age of silence to an end. Because remember, as we said last week, there has been a period of 400 years where no divine spokesman has been heard from. Not since we left the book of Malachi has there been anyone who spoke on behalf of God. There's 400 years once and in that time Rome comes to power and they're kind of controlling everything. And out of this silence, 
God speaks. He speaks through His angel. Through Zechariah, the priest, as he prophesies over Jesus and as he prophesies over John. And so today we come to a, another birth story. And as you, you read them at first, you realize that as, as you're beginning to read, that there's some similarities between the two stories. Okay? Well, you're thinking, well, wait, on, wait a minute. How, how, how are they similar? Because you got one lady who's really old, and you got one who's really young. Well, they're similar in that these are both very unlikely births. Very unlikely. Because you have Elizabeth, because of her age, it's going to be difficult for her to conceive a child. And then you have Mary, who physically can do it. She can give birth to a child, but she's not married. Okay? She's betrothed to her husband Joseph. Okay? And so you have these, these very unlikely birth stories. Both of these sons have been prophesied by from, angel, uh, from, from angels. Both of these parents, Zechariah and Mary, received angelic announcements saying that what, saying that what was going to happen, that they were going to have these, these children. And then both of them, Zechariah and Mary, essentially asked the same question, how can this be? But it's here where the, the parallels kind of stop. Because we know that Zechariah is struck with silence. For nine months, he is unable to utter a single word. Mary asks almost essentially the same question, and she's given an explanation. And then like any good filmmaker does, Luke sort of leaves us there. You have the, the, the birth announcement, and then he cuts away. He cuts away to this little outlying burg in southern Galilee called Nazareth, a place known for, for nothing good at all. And he begins to tell us the story of Mary. Right here in between, kind of sandwiched between the, the birth announcement of, of John the Baptist and the birth of John the Baptist, Luke drops in the story of the angelic visitation that Mary has with, with Gabriel. Begin reading with me in Luke 1, verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came to her and said, Rejoice, favored woman, the Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. We do this every year when we read this story. Try to put yourself in the position of Mary. You're young. You're betrothed to be married. Maybe you didn't have a say in the matter at all. Maybe it's just, you know, your parents arranged it and, and you might not even really know the guy. Or it might be somebody that you don't particularly want to be married to and yet here you are. 
You're a teenager who is engaged to be married, and all of a sudden, an angel barges into your life and says, Rejoice. Rejoice, favored woman. It says that she was deeply troubled by this, yet she hasn't even heard what he has to say yet. But we have the vantage point of knowing what he's going to say. And imagine what that must have felt like as he began talking to her and he said, don't fear, Mary, do not be afraid, for you have found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and you will give birth to a son and you will call his name Jesus. He will be great and he will be called the Son of the Most High and the Lord will give him the throne of his father David he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. And then right here in verse 34, Mary asks almost the same question that Zechariah asked. How can this be since I've not been intimate with a man? How is this, how is this, going, how is this going to happen? Mary was a, a, a Jewish girl. She would have been familiar with the prophecy. She would have heard about the virgin birth. And yet she's just found out that she is that virgin. Imagine the weight of that weighing down on the shoulders of this teenage girl. The angel replied to her, verse 35, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And there it is. The Son of God is going to be your child. You, Mary, Unmarried as you are, young as you are, you, Mary, are going to be tasked with raising the Son of God. Can you imagine a more difficult challenge? Now, some of our children think they're God. Hers actually was God. Can you imagine what that must have been like? Can you imagine the uh, the, the pressure, the anxiety, the stress of having to raise the Son of God would bring onto this, onto this young girl. He continues, and he says, Consider your relative Elizabeth. Even she has conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month for her, who was called barren, and then he kind of gives her a tip right here. For nothing will be impossible with God. What he is saying is trust in God. Trust in His power. Trust in His might. You want to know how this can happen? He doesn't tell her necessarily how it's going to happen. He says, you know, the Holy Spirit's going to come over you. He doesn't explain anything more than that. He says you trust in God. Because with God, all things are possible. And then notice verse 38 because I, I think this is the verse, and I'm going to come back to this at the end. I think this verse right here is, is 
one of the most important verses in all of Scripture. Verse 38, Mary says, I am the Lord's servant. May it be done to me according to your word. Then the angel left her. Now then, there's a couple of things about that verse that I want us to consider. Number one, Mary, teenage Mary, unmarried Mary, is the very first person to accept Jesus for who he is. Okay? She is the very first person to accept Jesus for who he, he is. And the thing that I think about too is what if she would have said no? Because I don't think God forces his will on people. Now, I think he would have found another way. But what if she would have said no? But she didn't. She said, I am the Lord's servant. Some translations say, here is the Lord's servant. May it be to me just as you have, just as you have said. You know, there have been different responses to birth announcements throughout the scriptures. When Sarah, in her old age, found out that she was going to have a baby, her response was to laugh. And so Isaac was named Laughter. Okay? Zechariah, his response when hearing that his wife was going to have a child and that he was going to be a father in his old age was to, was to doubt. Had kind of a hiccup in his faith. Mary hears that she is going to have a child and her response is whatever you say. Whatever the Lord says, that's what I want to do. May what you have just said happen to me. In other words, what she says is amen. May it be so. And so she hears this announcement. And you can imagine what's going through her mind as the angel leaves her and she's pondering these things. She's thinking about the announcement. She's thinking about the weight who this child is going to be. And maybe something goes off in her head. Maybe she thinks back to something that, that Gabriel said. Your relative Elizabeth is also going to have a baby. And she's six months along. And so Mary does the only thing she knows to do. She goes to the one person who she knows can possibly relate to what is going on. And it's a relative, Elizabeth. And so she runs off to see Elizabeth. Verse 39. In those days, Mary set out and hurried out to the, to the hill country, to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's house and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped inside of her. Elizabeth was filled with joy with the Holy Spirit. She then exclaimed with a loud cry, You are the most blessed of women, and your child will be blessed. This meeting demonstrates Mary's obedience and faith because she shows that she believes in the sign that was given to Gabriel. Okay? Because the sign is, consider this, your relative Elizabeth has conceived. She goes there and sees with her own eyes that Elizabeth is pregnant, that she is six months along, and then all of a sudden, faith 
is no longer faith. Faith becomes sight. Okay, and so she's demonstrating her faith in that she goes to Elizabeth and it is confirmed what the angel said. And imagine as that is confirmed in her mind what that must have done for her because she's still very early on in her pregnancy. But yet she sees Elizabeth is pregnant. It might be all of a sudden it's like, well, okay, this is happening. This is real because I know that this is an impossibility. Yet there she is, six months pregnant. It says that the baby leapt inside of Elizabeth. John is pointing to Jesus even from the womb. Do you remember what, man, I just got chills thinking about that. Do you remember what what Zechariah said? Or what was said to Zechariah? Gabriel said to Zechariah, he will be filled with what? The Holy Spirit while still in his mother's womb. And so Mary comes in, and Elizabeth feels John leap. John is already pointing the way of Jesus. Already, already, even before, even before he is born. And so Elizabeth says, how could this happen to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to see me? But you see, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped inside of me for joy. She who has believed, and that's important, she who has believed is blessed because what was spoken to her by the Lord will be fulfilled. Elizabeth is praising Mary for her belief and for her faith that God will do what He says but it is all based on Mary's belief in God. Based in Mary's amen. You see, rich are the blessings. Rich are the blessings to those who believe in the promises of God. And so then what you have are these nine or ten verses where Mary bursts into praise. And in Latin, it's called the Magnificat. Because in the Latin Vulgate translation, the first word of this this song or this hymn is Magnificat. It's the song that was sung uh, at, at our Christmas party last Sunday night. It opens up with, My soul magnifies the Lord. My soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior because He has looked with favor on the humble condition of His servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed because of the Mighty One. Because He has done great things for me and His name is holy. His mercy is from generation to generation on those who fear Him. He has done a mighty deed with His arm. He has scattered the proud because of their thoughts of their hearts. He has toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has satisfied the hungry with good things and He has sent the rich away empty. He has helped His servant Israel 
mindful of his mercy. Just as he spoke to our ancestors, to Abraham and his descendants forever. You see, Luke is setting the scene for what will take place as these boys will, will grow up and become agents of God's long-standing promise of, of revelation. The victory over the, the powers of evil. Much of Mary's song is echoed in the preaching and the action of Jesus. But you see, when you take the time and you read through the, the Magnificat again, you realize that there's a whole lot more that is going on. Mary is, is pouring out her soul in praise over the events. The Magnificat is, is gospel before the gospel triumph. It is gospel before Bethlehem. It is gospel 33 years before Calvary. It is gospel before Easter. It is gospel before resurrection because it's all about God. It is also all about revolution. Did you see that? Did you see where it said that He is going to topple the kings, the people that are in the high and the mighty places? This is a declaration. Really, it's a declaration of war on the kingdom of Satan that has its just has the people in its grip. And it's all about Jesus. Mary's feelings are very clear. God owes her nothing while she has received everything from Him. Mary and Elizabeth have searched the Scriptures which have spoken of, of hope and mercy and fulfillment, reversal and, 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 and revelation. They've spoken of victory over evil and God coming to their rescue at last. And these mothers-to-be come together to celebrate what God is doing through their sons, Jesus and John. That's what's taking place when Mary runs off to see Elizabeth. Verse 56 says, And Mary stayed with her about three months. And then, and then she returned home. You know, this story, this story that, that Luke has, has told us, it's not just an old story. It's not just an ancient story. It's not just a, a, a Bible story. This story is also our story. If we are part of the, the people of God, this is, this is our story. God has broken through the silence, not just for these people, but He's broken through the silence for us. Because Jesus came into all the world hoping that all people will come to know Him. And so this is our story. And here's the thing. If this is our story, that means that every single person, every single person has a role in the story. And just as we talked about last week, 
just because you think in your mind or someone has convinced you that you might not be qualified, that doesn't disqualify you in the eyes of God. Just because someone says you're too this or not enough of that, or you think I'm too old or I don't have enough talent or I don't have enough ability, I don't have the kind of confidence, God says, yes, you do. Because if he can use people like Zechariah and Elizabeth, he can use people just like me and you. And so how will we respond to the story? What is our role in, in the story of God? It might be to stand up and proclaim God's word to people. But if it's not that, then it's going to be to share the love and the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ with those that you come in contact with. It might be that God has given you a great gift of encouragement. And so your job, your role in the kingdom of God is to encourage those who are broken. through calls, through prayers, through cards, through the words that God gives you. It might mean that, that you have a great and a strong gift of prayer and intercession on behalf of the saints and on behalf of those who are broken and don't know Jesus. And that is your mission. That is your role to go before God and to intercede on behalf of these people to God Almighty. If God has gifted you that way, that is, your, that is your role in the kingdom. It might be that your role, that your gift is a gift of service. And while you might not feel like, well, I'm not great at, at writing, and I, you know, I, I pray, but I, I kind of struggle with that. But what I can really do is I serve. And I'm willing to, to pitch in. I'm willing to get my hands dirty. I'm willing to help. If God has gifted you in that way, well, here's the thing. It's not just your job to just serve. Be a servant that serves others. Show others how to serve with you. Does that make sense? It's not your job to serve alone. It's your job to grab other people and show them how to serve and lead the way for others. God has given us all a role in His kingdom. Okay, it might be that, that you're good at administration. It might mean that you're good at management. You have a role to play in the kingdom of God because God's church, as much as we don't like to say it, there's a business portion to the church and it's got to be managed and it's got to be maintained. Okay, and so if God has gifted you that way, serve Him in that way. It might be that you have this capacity to teach, and I know that several of you do, because we have a large population of teachers within our church, and thank you for what you do. Thank you for what you do. Come on, there should be a huge amen for that. Come on. Thank you for what you do. You teach our children the message of Jesus. Thank you for that. Treasure that gift that God has given you. And even when one student shows up, when only one student shows up and you think, you know what, this is just, I put in all this time, I put in all this effort, it is still worth it. Yeah. 
You know, Mother Teresa, she had a saying that went something like this. If, if you can't serve the millions, or if you can't minister to millions, or if you can't minister to many, serve and minister to one. Because you can make a difference in just one person's life. Okay? So we all have roles to play. How will we respond? Are you responding to the role and to the gifts that God has, has given you? Now, I think that um, as I look over this story, I think the, the thrust of application for this story is found back in verse, back in verse 38. It's the verse where Mary says, I am the Lord's servant. May it be done to me according to your word. This teenage girl demonstrates such a deep faith in the plan of God, even though she doesn't fully understand the plan of God. Okay, I'm pretty sure that even though Gabriel said the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you, and you're going to conceive and you're going to give birth and he's going to be the son of God, I'm pretty sure that that teenage girl didn't fully grasp everything that was about to happen to her. Okay? Because I've been studying this most of my life and I still don't understand all of this. Okay? And I'm pretty sure she didn't grasp it fully, yet she still humbly submits. She says, okay, may it be done to me according to your word. Now then, I, I got to thinking about this, and you know, while none of us will experience anything like a, a virgin birth, how many times do we find ourselves in situations where we know we need to trust God even though we don't fully understand? Can anybody relate to that? Yeah. Because I can definitely relate to that. And if you can relate to that, then you can probably relate to this, that sometimes it is not always easy to trust in God's plan. Am I right? It's not always easy. Okay, it's not always easy to trust in God's plan, which means that sometimes it's not always easy to trust in God. Because sometimes it's difficult to understand what God is up to. It's difficult to understand why, why certain things happen and, and following Him is not always easy. You know, just a, a look through the Scriptures verifies that. We can ask the one whose own soul would be pierced because of Him. And that would be Mary. It's exactly what Simeon prophesied over her. That your own soul is going to be pierced because of this child. The one that's going to cause the rise and the fall of many. Yet she trusted him. And that should be our response as well. To trust God. Ecclesiastes 12, 12 and 13. It's kind of talking about some of these things. And it says of, of making many books there is no end. And much study is a weariness of the flesh, the end of the matter, all has been heard. 
fear God and keep His commandments. For that is the whole duty of everyone. Now then, the narrator in Ecclesiastes, he isn't telling his audience to stop reading books. He isn't saying to, to quit educating yourself. But what he is saying is that trying to fully understand things mentally, emotionally, spiritually can be exhausting. And so he says, just stop it. No more words. Now there is only trust in God. Pete ends in his book titled The Sin of Certainty. He says this, he says, When we reach the point where things simply make no sense, when our thinking about God and about life no longer line up, when any sense of certainty is gone, and when we can find no reason to trust God, yet we still do, he says, that is what trust looks like at its brightest, even when all else is dark. Now then, logically, logically, we can understand that it could have been very easy for Mary to doubt God's plan. Okay, it would have been very easy for her to to doubt what was, was, was going on. I mean, this came out of the middle of nowhere. Nowhere in a million years did this teenage Mary expect to be the mother of the Son of God, but out of the silence, God spoke to her through an angel. You know, I, I've often wondered, as I've, I've recounted this story so many times, and as I reread this story every year, I always... I always go back to this. I often wonder if she ever looked back on that encounter with Gabriel. And wanted to brush it off as just her imagination. You know, was I just thinking that? Was I dreaming? Was it, you know, am I, am I going crazy? Am I losing my mind? An angel? The Son of God, I'm going to be the mother of the Son of God? Until she felt that first kick inside of her womb. How difficult it must have been to trust in God and in the plan of God in those moments. Yet she did. She trusted in God. This incredible story, it invites us to do the same. Like I said, this story isn't just here because we needed a good story. This story invites us in to deeper faith. This story invites us in to trust God even when we don't understand what God is up to. This story invites us to trust in the talents and the abilities that God has gifted us with because God can do anything with anyone he chooses and rich are the blessings of those who trust in God let's pray together